Hello and welcome to Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. I'm Becky Parker Geist and I'm your host. Audiobook Connection is your place to learn about the audiobook creative process and for authors to learn valuable tips on producing and marketing your audiobooks. This podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Hello, welcome. Thank you so much for being with me today. We are going to dive into the topic of music and sound effects in children's audiobooks. So let's get started. We have recently been producing a lot of children's books. I love working on them. And uh, some of the recent ones that we've produced, you can find on AmplifyAudiobooks.com. One is the Once Upon a Dance series, and we're continuing to do further titles in that series. And then there are a few different series or collections by Kelly Ann Manuel. And those are also on AmplifyAudiobooks.com. If you go there, you can also hear samples of these, and that will give you some further context for some of the things that we're going to talk about today. So first of all, broadly, what are some of the considerations that we'll be thinking about as we approach the work of creating an audiobook or producing an audiobook for a children's title. Well, number one, and this is true across the board, no matter what genre, no matter what kind of audiobook, and that is creating the best listening experience, the very best experience that we can create for the customer, the end user. The second, in especially in a book that has music and sound effects, will be to bring that story to life while keeping the story at the fore, at the, at the front, and to make sure that it doesn't get buried in the mix of music and sound effects and that those effects are not distracting from the story. And there's a lot of subtlety that I think belongs in this uh, process and that many producers, I think, fall short on. And there are some particular challenges that have to do with that mix in particular, which uh, I will get to later in this episode. While all of what we're going to talk about on this podcast will pertain to authors as well as audio engineers especially, I have a few notes for you authors out there that could impact the way that you head into the audiobook process. Or even, if you haven't written the children's book yet, even how you might do some of that writing with a mind towards having it in audio. So here are some special things for you. The first is, are you creating a world that is rich with sound? Or is it only very visually focused? I have seen a lot, a lot of kids' books over the years. I spent many years as an educator from preschool on up and have three kids of my own and two grandkids. And it is, you know, so I've been through a lot of kids' books and some really do bring out or, you know, create a world that is very sensory, 
that addresses what things look like, what they sound like, what they smell like, what they taste like. Taste is going to be less often in the mix unless there is, you know, some particular, the book revolves around some kind of food, for example. But how things look and sound and feel There's a lot of feeling that goes into many children's books, and that's very appropriate. A lot of kids are trying to sort things out, and feelings are one of the hardest things. So we have a lot of books that are focused around the feeling, and that's great. What we are looking at in terms of the audiobook world is I've seen many, many children's books that are very visually focused. Now, they may have feelings in there as well, but in terms of sounds, that they don't really give any clue about what's happening from a sound perspective. And I want you to just for a moment consider the fact that there are many children who are visually impaired. And for them, sound is one of the richest places or aspects of their lives. And so not to say that every book has to appeal to every child or or every impairment, if you will, but I do think that if you consider your manuscript from each of these sensory perspectives, that you may find that you can make that world that you have created even richer. And as you prepare for an audiobook to be created of your text, then having an idea, having some clues about what's happening in the world from a sound perspective can be really great. Now, they don't have to be on the nose. For example, if we know that someone is the hero of the story, is walking through the forest on a bright sunny day, well, that gives us an outdoor ambiance feeling that we can work with. But if your book is, let's say, only about something that is maybe only about a feeling, then you might want to think about how could you enrich your environment with sound, suggestions of sound. I think many times children's authors rely on the illustrations to create that kind of richer feeling and to give the guidance uh, for the imagination of where, you know, placement in terms of location, you know, so that we can, that it becomes suggestive to the child. But remember that with audiobooks, we don't have any illustrations. And so, therefore, if we use the illustrations as a guideline Sometimes that could create confusion if there's not a clear reason for using those as clues, then we may end up with something that just becomes confusing for the listener, and we certainly don't want to do that. So, again, are you creating a world that is rich with sound in terms of the clues within the manuscript? And the second consideration to give a thought to is can you imagine the placement of that sound, of each sound, and how the hero in your story hears it and when they hear it? 
so this is an, an example that for let's say the a dog barking. So we know that there is a dog in the story and maybe your sentence is something like the dog barked loudly and then walked off the sidewalk. Okay. So where would you want that bark to happen? There are three possibilities that come to mind for me immediately. The first would be right under the word bark. The dog barked and we hear the bark loudly and then stepped off the curb. The second would be after loudly. So there is just a slight pause there. The dog barked loudly, woof, and then stepped off the curb. And the third would be at the end of the sentence. The dog barked loudly and then stepped off the curb, woof. As you can see, each of those is going to create a different kind of experience. And so what I'm proposing here then in this little bit, we're going to get deeper into this topic a little later into the episode. But for you as an author, when you are crafting your sentence and thinking about how you might arrange the words as you tell the exact same story, thinking about when we should be hearing the sounds can be valuable. So, for example, that same sentence could read, as right before the dog stepped off the curb, he barked loudly. Woof! Right? So that uh, makes it really clear and clean as to when that would happen. Um, Again, we'll get into a little bit more detail, but those two main things for you authors are creating a world rich with sound and imagining the placement of the sound so that as you craft the sentences, the sounds will have nice, clean placement, easy, easy placement. Okay, so let's uh, step into the pre-production world. That's when we are, we're not recording yet, right? And the pre-production, which is such a valuable, important preparation time. During that, what we're doing is we're mapping out what that soundscape will be. There are several aspects to that process. Okay, first of all is the sourcing. So we want to find the right music and the right sound effects. With music, we'll be listening for, and typically with a children's book, you're going to have music. It's nice to have it during the opening and closing credits. And then many times we like to kind of set the tone with music at the start of the story. And there may be other moments within it that would be appropriate to add music, especially if music is referenced, if one of the characters is hearing some music. That's when we definitely want to have some music in there. Okay, so how do we choose what music we're going to use? Well, first of all, you want the tone or the feel of the music to match the story. For uh, And then secondly, you want, let's say, for example, it's a scary moment, or maybe it's a scary book. Maybe it's a Halloween book, and it's about witches and ghouls or something. Well, You need to pay attention to the target age for that children's book so that you're creating music or having music that is not too scary because there is a lot of music that can be really scary. Think about some of the horror or thriller flicks that you may have seen, and you'll know that sometimes it can just build up so much tension in you, even if you can't see what's going on. 
right? So you want to match that how scary it is or how, you know, to, or you want to match the audience, the music. You want to match the music to your audience. The third is that generally you want something that's not going to be too percussive. And the reason for that is because if it's going to underscore the voiceover, then you don't want that percussive sound to be drowning out words, right? So you have to be especially careful when you're mixing that music, if it's going under voiceover, and if it is more percussive, you have to be even more careful with the mix. Now, sometimes a percussive music piece is perfect and can actually act as punctuation. Let's say, like, I, I'm thinking about an audiobook we did, an absolutely delightful book by John T. Olivier called The Nine Lives and Times of Mr. Hyde. And there's a chase scene with a cat and a boy, and the music is so fun because of the way that it lends to the, adds to the chase scene and how it, and it is percussive in different ways. Okay. And then the fourth consideration is, will the music be accent or will it be underscoring? And that's kind of what I was just talking about. In that children's book, Nine Lives and Times of Mr. Hyde, it was both, really, but it, we were using it as accent. Well, yeah, we'll go a little more detail on some of that a little bit later, but I want to move now into sound effects and how do we choose the sound effects. There are huge, massive libraries of sound effects that are available not every audio engineer, not every audiobook producer is subscribed to or has access to a large, large library of sound effects. Some do. Now, here's the thing is it's not so much like how many do you have access to, but do you have access to ones that are fitting? A real easy example is if you have a big dog in a story big German shepherd, let's say, and then you use the sound effect of a small yappy dog barking, well, that is an obvious mismatch. There are mismatches of all kinds that can happen. For example, if you have a water dripping in an echoey cave, that's going to be really different from the sound of water dripping from a water faucet in a house, in a bathroom, let's say. If you have the splash of a frog, but then you use the sound effect of somebody doing a, a cannonball into a swimming pool, it's going to be a very different sound. Now, it's very possible that you may be doing a project in which that is an intentional mismatch, and it's sort of called out in some way, like this little frog had the biggest splash ever. You know, we hear this big splash. But most often, uh, unless it's, do, it's done sort of as a satire in a way, we are trying to make a good fit because otherwise we get distracted. So that is the main thing about sourcing. We're going to take just a short pause here and then we're going to come back 
and talk about the next step is about how we bring the music in and out of your audiobook. We'll be right back. Looking for a way to bring your children's book to life in an engaging way for young ones? At Pro Audio Voices, we bring together decades of experience with audio production, teaching, and parenting to craft a listening experience that will delight children and parents alike. If you're looking for an experienced team to bring your children's book to life in audio, check out ProAudioVoices.com. Okay, so now let's say that we have selected the various music and it might be a single piece, it might be multiple pieces of music that are going to be used in the particular audiobook. All right, so here are some considerations, things that you'll need to figure out or someone will need to figure out in terms of how that music is brought in and how it is taken out. So one thing is you want to know, will the music length, the length of the music that you have sourced for that particular part of the audiobook, will the length of it work for what's needed? Now, that can mean, does it fit perfectly? But that's not often going to be the case, right? Sometimes it is, and that's awesome, and it feels like, yes, you know, but uh, very often, uh, most often, it's not the case. So then the question is, where in the music do you start, and then where are you going to fade out at? But you may not necessarily start at the beginning of the piece of music, especially if you really love the ending and how the ending will play out with your voiceover in relationship. And so these are the kinds of things that you're figuring out, how it comes in and how it comes out. If you're starting at the beginning of the music piece, you may not need a fade in. That's going to depend more on the way that it lands in the story. If you're in the middle of the story or at a point at which you want to bring it in, let's say, to support the mood of a particular moment, then you probably will want it to fade in. If you're at the very beginning of the story or the beginning of a new scene in the story, then it might be appropriate to start the music and like that's a clue that now we're doing something different or now we've moved on to a new scene. Now the dog is jaunting, you know, jauntily walking down the street. Things like that. Okay. So uh, you're looking at will the length of the music piece you've sourced, will it work for what you need? If not, so I just should just throw this in there. If not, is there a section, a couple measures of the music that you can loop in order to make it work? Okay. Now, the next uh, consideration is when does it start in relation to the voiceover? So I've separated that out a little bit. Again, we're looking at how does it fit in the story? What is the music's intention in this in the story and and that will help you help to guide you in when that music should start in relation to the voiceover that's delivering the story so that is when the music starts and and then when it stops 
Does it fade, fade in and fade out, or does it abruptly end? So sometimes you might have a sudden stop that serves as a terrific accent. Like, let's say the hero is suddenly startled and is creep- they're creeping along and suddenly they're, they're startled or they stop abruptly and you have this creeping music and then whoop, it just stops. And then we have this, this pause, this rest that gives, that sort of suspends the moment. And that can be really awesome. And so that's one way that it can be used. Many times you're going to want it to just fade out and so that we're not noticing when it comes in and when it goes out. It's just supporting the story as we go along, right? And then another thing that can be really tricky to figure out, and that is how long a fade is needed. Should it be noticeable? If we don't want it to be noticeable, then typically we need a pretty long fade. I mean, we could be talking about like eight or 10 seconds, depending on the piece of music, how loud it's going to get in the mix, and then, you know, how how noticeable you want that to be. If you want it to be pretty quick, then it might be like one second or two seconds, and that will feel pretty quick. It might sound like long, or maybe it sounds like short. I don't know. It depends on your perception. But that would be a pretty short fade and would be pretty noticeable as to when it's coming in and going out. Now, the best time, in my opinion, To do that kind of noticeable fade would be at the end of a musical phrase. So we're come to this this phrase in the music where it comes to some kind of conclusion, and then it's about to move on to a new section. That's a great place to do a quick fade because it doesn't feel so much like we're taking it out quickly. It's like, oh, we're at the end of that. It works a little bit more easily. Okay, and then coming back to this that I mentioned when I was speaking directly to our authors in the in the audience, and that is about the placement of the sound effects. The typical placements would be on or under the word in the voiceover or at a comma or some other kind of natural break or at a period at the end of the sentence. So during pre-production, as we're mapping out how this whole soundscape is going to happen. These are the kinds of things that we're thinking about. We're thinking about the choice of the music or sound effects, the sourcing. We're talking about how it is faded in and out. And we're talking about the placement. Now, once everything is mapped out as best we can map it out, and always understanding that it is likely that there will be changes after the fact, you know, because once we hear it, then maybe our thoughts change about, uh, you know, it didn't work quite as well as I thought it would. So, but now we've done all the mapping. Now we move into production. So what happens is that the actor, narrator, is going to record the narrative. And after that is done, and what's best usually is after that has already been approved as the final voiceover, then the audio engineer is going to implement the soundscape plan that has been mapped out. Now, it can be helpful to the actor to know what the plan is, because then, for example, in that sentence with the the dog barking and then stepping off the curb, if 
the actor knows that there is going to be the placement of a bark at the comma, let's say, they can imagine it as they're narrating and leave the appropriate pause in there. That, however, can also be done in post-production. But I'm just saying it it can be helpful. Uh, I know as an actor myself that I love having a clear idea of what that finished product is going to be so that as I'm narrating, I'm really creating the kind of space for the sound plan. Okay, now here's the thing about the mix, and this is where it can, can get tricky. It's really important, I think, to properly balance the levels of music and sound effects in relation to the voiceover. It is so easy to overdo it. And when I say overdo it, I mean have the music and sound effects too loud in relation to the voiceover, to the story. And I think partly because audio engineers kind of get caught up in the enjoyment of creating that whole full piece Whereas with an audiobook, I do think it's important to make sure that the story does not or cannot get buried, uh, be overwhelmed at all by the rest. Now, the reason why it is tricky is because the mix will sound different to the listener depending on the device they listen with. And this is a little bit, you know, sort of a hair-pulling frustration thing, I think, for many of us where, you know, we can't completely control all the elements. And so we have to do our best to find a balance that is going to generally work. That is really key. Now, what can help in that process is if you, as the author reviewing, will listen to it on multiple devices. Listen to it on your phone. Listen to it on your laptop. If you have an iPad or something like that, listen to it on there. Listen to it with whatever devices you can. Play it through speakers. Use a laptop uh, speaker, whatever you've got. Earbuds, listen that way. And that will help you get a sense of, you know, whether there is any issue with that balance. Now, sometimes there will need to be tweaks after it is mixed. That's very reasonable, very understandable, because we're making our best guesses at the front end. And while we have done many children's audiobooks and have not had to do those tweaks after it's mixed, we're always expecting there to be some because it's so common and it's challenging to get it all right first time out. So let's say the kind of tweaks that we might experience would be we might need to find, need a longer fade here or a different sound effect there. It's a very creative process. So it's not that these things are wrong. It's just that we might want to make a slightly different creative decision. And that's, I think, where the a lot of the delightful, fun process of collaboration with authors and production teams can happen. So I hope that that gives you some sense of the work that goes into creating a children's audiobook. You can read some testimonials from our children's authors and from their customers on our website at proaudiovoices.com slash kind 
hyphen words. And if you have a children's book, whether it has been illustrated or not, whether it has been published or not, we can help you bring it to life in audio in a way that makes it available for sale out there in the world, if that's what you're looking for. We also do a lot of videos that are related to children's books. So there are a lot of different options as well for that kind of bringing the story to life. If you're finding this podcast valuable and would like to support my work with it, you can join me on patreon.com slash audiobook connection podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for joining us for Audiobook Connection, behind the scenes with the creative teams. Please take a moment to subscribe at audiobookconnection.com. The podcast is sponsored by Pro Audio Voices, helping great stories come alive through audiobook production and marketing. Learn more at proaudiovoices.com. Again, thanks for being with us, and please join us next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.